the Protect Your Neck Podcast, UFC 269 Breakdown. Picks, plays, and whatever else comes our way. Let's go to work. Hot air hangs like a dead man from a white oak tree. People sitting on porches thinking how things used to be. Dark night It's a dark night Dark night It's a dark night What is up, you savages? This is the Protect Your Neck Podcast, and I'm your host, Dan Tom. Analyst is work you can find over at MMA Junkie as well as OddsCheckerUS.com. But on this here program, the Protect Your Neck Podcast, we break down high-level MMA that's what we're going to do here today, tonight, whenever you're listening to this. Hopefully it's before the fight. I'm recording it not Thursday night, Thursday early afternoon, which is a change for me. Um, because it's a, it's, it's a card I'm very excited about. Um, and uh, I think my breakdowns are only dropping today uh, as I recorded it. But, um, uh, you know, I, I got a lot of the work done early in the week because I've just been very excited. So I've been very excited for my breakdowns to drop. I'm very excited to talk to you guys. Uh, plenty of notes to go over for this card, uh, and of course, check the timestamps first uh, as well. We will go over uh, some notes as well for last card. As per usual, I always recap um, in the same order I break down from top to bottom, uh, accountability from the previous week, and then we push on to the plays for this week. And of course, at the very end, uh, if you're in a rush and whatnot, and it's really bad podcasting because you know it, it probably makes my uh, already low stats go even lower, but. You know, this is a this is a show for the people by the people. So uh, I recap my picks and plays at the very end, so no one can complain about my ranting on my own show because it's my show, and I still cater to even those of you you know uh, who ain't helping the stats as much. But I'm just trying to help you all, um, and I mean that when I say that in many ways, from the format to the free uh, content which you can support over at mixmarshallanalyst.com. Of course, click through to the right. Um, then on it, one won't be up by next year. Uh, yeah, we'll just I'll, I'll leave it at that. Um, and uh, th- there is an Amazon one, which I don't feel any better about, but uh, it still uh, seems to be a necessity, so I leave that one up there as it's easy click-through w- ways to support without um, spending any extra money. Um, also on the right-hand side of MixedMarshallAnalyst.com is a just a straight-up PayPal to donate if you'd like to support that way. Um I saw my man Zane vocalizing a thought that I constantly have. Uh, Zane Simon shouts to him uh, that I constantly have in regards to like, should I just do a Patreon? Uh, you know, even if I don't want to do a paywall, I still want to keep my content free, like it's been for over half a decade now. Um, and then uh, shouts to my uh, my other guy there, uh, Tim B. Uh, but uh, he uh, was basically saying uh, Kofi, which I've seen before through uh, my man Sam Yang. Shout out to the Southpaw Podcast. Um, some great episodes that I had to catch up on this week with my man Jason Sargas and others. Uh, love me some Jason Char- some Jason Sargas. Um, but, uh, yeah, the fuck was I talking about now? <laughs> I'm all distracted. Um, Jesus, uh, podcast, podcast, podcast. Um, oh, yeah, supporting, uh, shows. Uh, but, yeah, Ko-Fi, uh, yeah, that's right. They, I know they use that over there at, uh, on South Paul Pod. Um... 
Yeah, you know, who knows? You never you never know. It's 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 tough to make uh, ducats, so I try not to judge. But uh, I will say it is tougher if you haven't, you know, whether it's a conscious, uh, somewhat will to stick to journalistic code um, and whatnot. Um, but uh, even though I'm not a journalist and never claimed to be, but you know what I mean. It's 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 uh, it's tough swings out there um, uh, for the uh, the socially conscious anyways. So. um so yeah, but uh, I do appreciate the support, the shares at the PYM podcast on all social platforms. I'm at Dan Tom MMA on Twitter is where I'm most active. But yeah, if you can like or, sus- or subscribe on on all the feeds, uh, it really helps. I don't pollute your feed, of course. The YouTube Daniel Tom MMA, which um, I haven't really been pumping because you know, again, I've, I've kind of given up on my you know endless goals of. Getting to 1K, you know, there, or 10K on Twitter, I, I don't even care anymore. Uh, and I'm not putting up uh, the best uh, YouTube content or visual content, as you can see. This is a audio format, so um, what the fuck do I got to pump my chest about? But that being said, I do appreciate the subscribers there. Um, improvements are coming. I got I to gotta get with someone about getting, I got to find someone that can do YouTube thumbnails. And I'm going to go piece by piece. I'm booking a top fives for next year. So it's coming along, folks. But yeah, whether you're on YouTube or Apple Podcasts, appreciate those five-star ratings and reviews. You can check the show notes for when this ranting ends, which is about to. I'm going to push on to the UFC on ESPN 31 recap before we get to UFC 269. But yes, timestamps on all that. Last, uh, Lastly but not leastly, shouts. Uh, verbal Tap. Uh, jumped on the Verbal Tap cast for some over and under Kevin. We need to talk about Kevin. I gotta rewatch that movie. Uh, but love Kevin, love Raph, love that show. You should too. You should check it out. Uh, you know, whether you're a BJJ person, a jiu-jitsu grappling person, whatever you want to call it yourself, uh, if that's your thing, or just MMA. Um, they got a lot of both there. And um, yeah, they're not afraid to talk about things too, which is awesome. And they're funny, which is which is awesome and, and great guys. So please, if you're not to check out that episode, who cares about me? But just subscribe and check out their podcast. They're good dudes. Um, uh, I wrote uh, Cruz. D- I'll do a quick Bellator Gooch one too. But I wrote Cruz DC thoughts. I know that's the hot topic and whatnot. Um, you guys should already know where I stand if you didn't already follow me on Twitter. Or read between the lines of my posts. Uh, I am a fan of prep, as you can tell from this show. Again, I don't claim to be right. I don't put a gun to your head and tell you you should follow me. I don't claim to be the best. That's certainly not where my ego or my style. Not hating, just saying that's not me. Uh, But I do prep my ass off. Um, And I'm okay with, uh, you know, it's all in the game to lose and and this and that. And you got to be able to joke about it. Um, You know, as I've talked about with other people in this game, it's all in the game. It's all good. But, uh. One thing that does does get to me, and we'll get to here, is just when you know, uh, you know, seeing seeing people who 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 don't prep uh, be rewarded, and you know, call me a hater. It's just it's just a it's just an annoying thing, you know. It's an annoying thing to see the person who who puts a lot of the prep and hard work, maybe not necessarily get the breaks or have to take the long road there, where you know, as others um, get breaks which is fine, I've gotten my share, I'm sure we've all listened to this, had our own share in life, whether we want to realize it or not, um, you know, uh, that's cool, but it's what you do with them, right, and, uh, and yeah, um, you know, uh, Cruz, you know, Cruz called him out, as Cruz tends to do, 
you know, he will he will pop off like this isn't anything new. This is why people either love Cruz or hate Cruz. And I suspect things will remain the same, judging by the polarization. Um, you know, uh, DC seems to be more of like a a bro code guy, which is a different, you know, conversation, I suppose. But the main conversation, the one at play, the one he didn't really address too well, which is the which was the prep man. And uh, you know, I've helped people with prep before, but no, I did not help uh, DC. Uh, and uh, yeah, man, I don't know. I, I I've helped and tried to help other people that that have been in the broadcasts um, in very small, brief bits, if anything, probably more than I realize actually, since all my notes again are free and shit. Um, and not so much the play-by-play. Um, they're, they're great, but the the egos of the color commentators. It'd be a cold day in hell before I get a shot from any of them. Like I've gotten shots from Anik on broadcasts and such. And, and people from like the broadcast part, you know, or media parts and stuff like that. And I, that's, that's more than I, I don't. I don't even know if I deserve that. So I'm not upset or anything. I'm just saying like it'll be a cold day in hell for the the analysts do because you know, especially whether they whether whether or not they know my back my background or my story or not is superfluous. Because even if they did, it's not a a fucking that special of one or anything. I'm, I'd never fucking compete on any meaningful level. They, they shouldn't, you know what I'm saying? But at the, the same time, it's because of that. If they see someone like me, who's a, you know, a nerd or whatever, in their eyes, whatever this, you know, your eyes, that's, that's cool too. Like, but the fact that I'm, I'm not, you know, doing the job well and consistently, it's intimidating for a lot of people. And um, it's a big reason why certain people, big, small, middle, however you want to classify them, in this industry, media, fighter analysts, whatnot, there are certain people that they don't say my name for a reason, um, and it's cool because I, I honestly, I don't even know if I even want to call fights anymore. Like that, it's not even me hating that either, by the way, folks, because like I don't even know if I want that goal. You know, I know I'm pretty passionate about it when I was talking about it on uh, Fernandez podcast, Best Camp, um, and, and I was passionate. I, I do mean those things. It's not that they they were untrue, but as I grow. And grow away from the space. It feels like uh, it, it's just—I don't know. I, I see the politics that has to go along to even be considered for that, and I just don't think I can play that game. Uh, clearly, I can't. I mean, I've already probably shot myself in the foot from those jobs. Um. And uh, and yeah, I, I'm I'm bad about asking for help, and 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 that's bad for me. And uh, you know, people aren't too good about uh given that help because they want these positions for themselves so it's it's just real cutthroat you know it's real cutthroat so um i'm not trying to be a hater but then at the same time yeah like do i feel bad for dc for being called out on the truth something that's obvious that we didn't need dom cruz to say for it to be like no it is is good and for whatever bad you can argue and that's fine i'm not gonna argue it back i could care less um i but the one thing i guess i would argue or say at the very least is that the greater good here is that it started a conversation that needed to be needed outside of more informed circles or podcasts such as I dare say this one, but others, you know, uh, who have it too, which is against too small of an amount, um, that are having it. There's way too many bad takes, you know, from broadcasts, fighters, prominent media members, um, longstanding programs, all the like, there's just, just a lot of bad takes, and a lot of it's the telephone game. And I was just talking to uh, some colleagues of mine who I 
uh, hold close about you know about DC before all this happened. Going, dude, this is fucking, and we'll talk about it here in the recap. But I'm like, dude, this freaking bad takes is just like, it really is doing a number. Like I'm just, I, I just tired of like my machete is like, I'm tired of sharpening this machete to cut through bad takes just to get from point A to point B through my goddamn timeline. You know, as as if the problematic news stories and other bullshit that you come across on social media isn't enough. And you just got all these fucking just terrible takes, and a lot of it is, is based off of a telephone game. So, obviously, uh, I don't need to even explain this much. You guys already know where I stand. I'm a big fan of anybody, whether it's people who do betting uh, analysis, fight analysis, commentary, journals, journalists who actually try to ask good questions and know the subjects. Um, my respect is always... I, I keep that same energy, so that's why I appreciate what Cruz says. My respect always goes to the people who prep. I'm a big fan of Anik for that reason, big fan of Stanek as a commentary team. Um, and I guess last thing I'll say on this is, and the thing is you notice that the people who don't prep, not only will they out themselves on their work if you know what to look for, um, even in the way they talk. Like, there are plenty of, I, I have plenty of colleagues, know plenty of colleagues who consistently talk bad about X's and O's, uh, analysis, fight analysis, um, prep. Uh, and a lot of it, I think, is based off of insecurity and laziness. Um, because, again, they see it as a threat. Oh, someone can do it. Let me tear it down. And if you look at it, when they tear it down, they usually kind of bring it back into their realm. But their realm, there's no... There's no mathematics, there's no numbers, there's no process, there's no, there's nothing there. It's just that, you know, whether they're a fighter, a promoter, a media member who's been that character, uh, one of many characters or, you know, uh, in, you know, in this field for a while, they go, that's, I've been doing this for a while. That's, that's all I need to say. It's, it's not about this or that, it's about what I do, you know? And you hear a lot of that if you know what to listen for. And it sucks for me because it's just like, all right, I get it. And a lot of these people are already in prominent positions. It's like, wow, way to shit down on other people's beats. Um, even though you're already toward the top. But that's just how it is. And that's probably how a lot of these people got to the top. Um, so, yeah, you pay attention to who says whose name and who doesn't say whose name. And who says what and who says what when. Oh, all the answers are there, folks. You guys don't need to have any backdoor access to read between the lines. So, I'll just leave it at that. Props to the people who prep in this field. Y'all the real ones. Y'all got my respect. Uh, Bellator recap. Two, was it 272 or some shit? I don't know. Um, huge Pettis. Yeah, people give me credit for, for calling this. And I appreciate it, even though the pick was, was wrong. I was still getting credit for the analysis because I always complained about that. And, you know. Listeners of this podcast are the, are the real ones, so so thank y'all. Um, I, I, I don't know if I can take too much credit for it. I did say that um, Pettis was going to be not just live as an underdog, but live for the finish, which I guess that's what people weren't saying, and, and I, I might have been one of the few saying that because Pettis has been, you know, stereotypically a decision and point fighting machine. But he definitely had the knockout potential in this one. Um, I called it more of a counter cross sparking it off. Uh, not a spinning back fist. So, again, I don't know how much credit I can take there. Um, uh, so I won't. Instead, I'll just give a shout to those who were 
giving me credit on the analysis. Um, I don't even know if I should say this. And, and a lot of times, kind of like with that Riddell Fiziev draw that I was shot my, my dude Brad out, he hit me up. If you guys hit me up with these things, like if I talk around a play, a lot of the times um, I, I have so many notes here and I just don't get to them all. And I will talk around so many things so many times and forget to say it, plays included. And I feel awful for it because if I don't say it on the podcast, it's not official. Um, so I won't include this on the betting recap stats for this weekend that I'm about to dive into. Um, but this is another one. And whether you call it out or not, I will still always give you guys credit regardless. Um, so don't be afraid to message, tag, ask me about it online if you're not sure. Like you say, you didn't recommend this play, but your analysis pretty much points to it. Um, again, these are decisions for you guys to make on your own. That's why I give this analysis. That's why I consider myself a reference point and make myself a free one at that. Um, but if if you look at the analysis, I was I called for third round finish by Gooch and Pettis was live for the finish. Well, you could have got the under four and a half at least by fight time. It was like plus one seventy five. I don't know if it was that high when I did my breakdown. But uh, that was my only play I ended up doing for Bellator. I just put a little bit on that, and it didn't matter. Um, I still ended up, you know, even if I included that, I, I, I it's it was still a, a fucking losing night for me. Um, yeah, it would have been close, actually. But no, no, it's still a losing night for me regardless. I'm not counting it. But uh, that play was there, and uh, some people apparently sprinkled on, on, on Pettis. So I was too afraid to sprinkle on Gooch because of the Pettis KO. So good on you guys if you cashed. I don't know how much credit I can take, but I'm happy to have helped. UFC Vegas 44 recap went 5-8 and eight overall. Two and two in straight plays, which I believe were all dogs. Um, so that wasn't bad, but 0 and 1 in the prop, or 0 and 1 in the parlay, slash parlay piece, and 0 and 6 in prop flyers. You know, again, those weren't big, but yeah, 0 and 6 on those, that Hoyt um, as well. Uh, so we'll break that down uh, right now. It's like 17. Um, yeah, uh, US, UFC and ESPN 31 recap. Jose Aldo defeated Rob Font by unanimous decision. I did get that right. So it was nice to end this on a good note because I didn't just get the pick right and the method right. Um, the analysis was also, you know, I, I was able to show the work, which is big. And not a lot of people can do in this space. Um, and, and it's a hard thing to do, you know, you know, you, you can do it a little bit here, there on a basic level and, and that. I appreciate people who even do that because there's a lot of grifters out there who just who don't even show their work. Um, you know, from 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 media. But again, I'm not. Uh, this is a general thing. This is, you, you know, people from my side of the fence. Uh, people do my job too as well. This is not a a, a one person one job uh, media or analyst media or fighter analyst. This is a general thing. That's 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 kind of generally true. Okay, so don't not get our panties in a bunch here. Um. He's got a bit of time cruising him because no filter for his unpopular takes. Um, but yeah, I got the dynamic of this one. Uh, it was the jab. It was the more active jabber against the guy who countered the jab. Um, and the counters didn't stop Rob Font from trying to be active with it and really getting after it. Props to Font. I hope uh, I didn't come off neglecting Font too much in the lead up and talk about talk and tweeting about it because I'm obviously you guys know I, I love Font and I love his team. Um, very much, but uh, a just trying to stay unbiased, and yes, I am an, I'm biased Lee. I'm also an Aldo fan, but I picked against Aldo plenty of times, folks. Let's uh, 
you know, let's not forget. Um, so, uh, you know, felt felt vindicated on this one. Um, I, I wanted to double dip on Jose Aldo to chase, and that would have saved me. And sprinkle, maybe even just sprinkling on the decision prop too. But I was too afraid with how my night went, man. It was just like, holy shit. Um, and, and it's tough because there are some nights where, you know, it's all in the game to take losses. Like, I think there's been plenty of losses where, lately, right, where I've been like, okay, it's fine. I'm not... I, I, I honestly probably have had, had a similar attitude about the winning cards than I've had about the losing. And, and that's for a purpose because I don't think you should get too high and too low. And I, I'm bad about that. I don't... I can get too low and I don't get high enough, so... I'm not saying I'm perfect. I'm just saying that's that's what I think and that's what I you know aspire to. Just for me, it doesn't have to be for you. Um, but yeah, I kind of wish I did. Right in hindsight, being 2020. But again, I'm trying to be disciplined here. I take the shot I miss. Um, you know, and uh, with the way the night was going, you know, maybe still don't regret. Even though in hindsight, I would have been right because again, I was getting fucking washed, and it was a weird night because what I was leading to is you know you can take losses, and I'm fine with that. But but uh. What's really tough are nights like these, where, because me, it's not that I got the pick wrong, that's fine, I get plenty of picks wrong. Get the play wrong, means a little more, but that's fine, I get plenty of plays wrong. It's all in the game. Um, had a bad night, uh, I've had plenty of bad nights, and a lot of these bad nights, like that bad night, are nights where the majority of the field has a bad night, for whatever that's worse. It does take a sting off it a bit, the old ego, right? Um, so that's all fine. What upsets me, and people that know this of me, it's to a fault, and it's weird, and it's unpopular. I'm in the minority, and I know this, but I'm a man of goddamn principle. Man's got to have a code. And what I hate is the reactions to things, you know? Um, and there was a lot of these fights that were in one way or the other, and I hate to, to say this because it sounds like sour grapes, and it, I, you're at risk of uh, taking away from the fighter who won, and I'm not trying to do that, but... Because I believe that the fighters who won were overinflated, and the reason why I feel they're overinflated is because these fights were essentially gifted. There's a lot of fights that were gifted to people, and it sucks because not just from a betting perspective, you lose, and and, and yes, it is a pet peeve to lose that way, and it is a gift. Um, and then an extra pet peeve is when it when you're able to show the work, uh, and you know, and it still goes against. See, that happens plenty of times, especially the fights where like I I can a show the work on, and it's against somebody who's kind of hyped, right, in the betting realm. And, and, and as a striker, oh boy, we'll get to it. Oh boy, I will, I will eat shit on those fights a, a lot of times. Uh, unfortunately, again, that's all in the game. Um, but what I hate is when all that stuff, the work adds up, and this and that, and and we'll get to some of these bets, and then you, you say, ah, easy money or easy work, and you're just like, <laughs> was it easy? Was it easy? <laughs> it's like it's like uh, it's like the equivalent to, and I, and I hate saying this because I have a lot of friends and people listen to the show that, that I've tweeted that I'm not trying to fucking default all y'all going to hell condemn you it's bad I, I do my share of shit too I get caught up in the moment too this is just one of those things but for me the the easy money it reminds me of the and I have friends who do this too so I god I'm probably gonna make less friends than I already have by calling these things out but I hate the and we see this in sports where it's like oh we won that one. It was easy money. I'm like, was it easy? Is it was it easy pushing down? Uh, you know, the, uh, the last five yards of the field. Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> against a team with, uh, you know, uh, it's like, were you out there? Yeah, <laughs> were you strapping your pads on? Like, I don't know, man. Like, I'm a nerdy loser uh, in many ways, and I'll be the first to admit that. But even my ass knows, like, 
And I get it. You want to you want to join in on the accomplishment. The ego wants to get that extra bump. But for me, it's like I don't know, man. Like I feel like that's two different things. Like if you want to have that kind of achievement, I've always been of the mindset: you go out and go do shit yourself. If you want to feel that achievement. Um, even though I've never been an athlete or a good fighter or a good martial artist, I've always went out and done sports competitions and fighting. Just, just because that I'm, I, you know, I've, I'd read when I play video games, it's like shooters or stuff like fantasy shit. Like if it's something that like if it was sports, like we could go out and play, I'd be like, why the fuck are we inside, guys? Like let's go out and do this shit. Um, I don't know if those two things correlate, but that's just what I think of when people use the we thing. It's like no. If you want to be happy, you want to bet. Fuck, fuck yeah, man. Like, there's a lot of these bets that I lost that friends of mine, friends of the show won on. That I'm happy about. Fuck yes. Um, that I'll take some silver lining of knowing that uh, if I lost, if people I know cash, fuck yeah. I definitely ain't trying to take away from them. Um, but, yeah, I just, this the, this whole, I don't know, just that, that uh, I just hate the whole, like, oh, it was easy money. I'm like, what was it? Was it easy? I'm like, why don't you ask the fighter if it was easy? Um, going through their training, six to eight week training camp, uh, just for that, you know, even if they do get a quick knockout, like, ask him if it was easy. <laughs> like, I don't think so. And these guys aren't getting, so you want the bet, cool, but I don't know. My suggestion is he doesn't have to do it like me, but try not to get too high, try not to get too low. Um, you knock him down, you move on. You lose, you move on, you know? Um, so I I don't know, but so hopefully we'll be on the right side of, of at least one of these because uh, I've been on the wrong side of a, <laughs> of a lot of the hype lately. But uh, that being said, I do got to give credit where credit's due. So we'll go Rafael Rafael Fiziev uh, defeated Brad uh, Radell High via third round TKO. Um, I brought this fight up earlier. The only thing I, I played with a free play was, was the draw, uh, which obviously did not happen, nor would it have. Um, it was a fun fight, super technical fight. I'm not gonna wax on it. I gotta go back and rewatch it too, to be honest. Um, next fight, uh, Jamal Hill. Jamal, Jamal Hill defeated Jimmy Crute first round KO. Um, this is one of one of one of many fights I've been I, I was I, I was referencing. Right, um, plenty of friends of the show cashed on Jamal Hill. Good on him. Good on Jamal Hill. He needed it, man. You know, uh, especially a fighter that, that that carries that much confidence. You wonder. How are they going to bounce back? I know it might not be my thing. It might not be your thing. You know, with fighters with uber confidence. But guess what, folks? They need that confidence. And a fighter like, from what seems like Hill, who seems like he really thrives on that confidence, you know, as cool as it was to see Paul Craig upset him, like, you do worry for for Hill's career, like, how he's going to bounce back. This was going to be a crucial spot for that reason. I don't think there's any denying that. Um, Crute was uh, obviously he's been reckless before. Um, my mistake is maybe not playing that up as much. Um, although I did say this could happen. Not only did I say not just the first round KO could happen, I also I also gave Hill credit to be able to do a comeback KO, which, you know, a lot of these people that stereotype these athletic strikers, um, even their supporters feel like they're kind of, you know, KO or bust, much less the detractors, right? Like, even though I was on the opposite side of Hill here, I was I was... Completely giving him credit there. Um, it's just one of those fights, man. Like, you're going to give me a submission grappler versus striker, for the most part, submission grappler, in the smaller cage, especially when 
that striker just suffered a, a horrific submission loss where he displayed really bad fight IQ. Um, yeah, I'm going to bet that. And then when that fighter, Hill himself, said, uh, that injury messed me up to where I couldn't train and even get a full camp, and not even because of the physical injury, I like physically lost people, death, had a bunch of other turbulent stuff in camp, super turbulent camp, coming back quick off an injury, very crucial spot, like, I'm happy for anybody that cashed on Hill, but in no way was this easy money. Like, the result went your way on paper, but it was not easy money. Um, Aldo won all five rounds on my card and many. I nailed the dynamic in the pick. I bet him. Did I say it was easy money? No. When I get to the other dog bet that I cashed, Thick Willie, as crazy and hyperbolic as I get, do you think I'm going to say that was no? Because keyword hyperbolic, keyword hyperbully. Uh, previously, I've always kept that same energy. And I'm not going to come here and say that, oh, why didn't you guys tell me on Thick Willie? Like, no. It would have been, would it have been be- look better if I had Thick Willie in my odds checker play? It would would that that sheet would have actually been a winner on that. My bets actually would have been a winner according to that sheet if I did. But I don't regret about putting Thick Willie on there because I'm supposed to put my most confident plays where I can show the work. And Thick Willie, that was a dice roll where you know you're getting a pick 'em fight and you were chancing the dog. You were playing against the public money inflating Menafield. Um, and we'll get to that fight and how it was scored and the reactions from it. Um. But I'm not going to sit here and say, like, even though it cashed and I agreed with the scorecard, I don't think it was controversial when we get to that fight. I'm not going to sit here and be like, that was easy money. <laughs> that was not easy money. Even if Thick Willie went out and knocked knocked out Menafield straight up with one of his weird check hooks, which he did hurt him in that first round. I told you guys about the, the Thick Willie check hook. Again, back to showing my work. Even for a crazy fight like that, I was still able to show some work. But I'm still not going to sit here and brag and be like, oh, that was easy money. No, it was not. <laughs> So, I'm not trying to tell you guys how to live your life. I'm not trying to be fucking... I know I'm coming off like fucking Buzz Killington here. I'm not saying you guys need to fucking conduct yourself or look at things the way I do. I'm just saying that's just a pet peeve of mine. Um, because, grats on you, Cash, but th- th- that was a dangerous spot to to bet Jamal Hill on. Now, he came through and that was good. But, A, it was a dangerous spot. B, I'm hearing everybody you know start overcorrecting this. He was like minus 300 against... Um, Craig, and again, I picked him there, but I said that the line was too inflated, that the, the value, you play Craig, you play Craig by sub. It's all plus money there. Because, um, again, picks, plays, and analysis are a different thing. Then people, and again, you know, um, shouts to my guy Clint. Now, he he had one of the better arguments for Hill when he said uh, people were overcorrecting the steering wheel, right, with, with making the line. And, and you could... That was definitely an argument here if you want to make the argument for Hillside. And hats off to anybody who else who um, had that argument. But keep that same energy because now we're seeing people do the same thing they did twice. They're going to do thrice now to Jamal Hill. And even though he should be favored, and yes, he's a prospect. I'm not denying these things, folks. But it's a show me. It's a show me. And that OSP sample was the best sample thus far. But now that sample, you know, not trying to be hindsight 2020. Or fickle, but we know how the sport is. And OSP's been around for a minute, and he seems to have finally fallen off a cliff. Uh, so I want to see more as far as late Jamal Hill, uh, Jamal Hill getting up from takedowns and whatnot. And we didn't get to see that in his last two fights. We didn't get to see that this year because 
We saw him make questionable ground IQ in a submission loss, and then he knocked the guy out in the first round. Now, he did some things in that we can get in. I could go back and look at and break down at another time, uh, you know, as far as stuff. But at the end of the day, like, I can't sit there and pretend that, like, oh, he answered every question. And the way I'm hearing everybody talk or seeing everybody on talk on Twitter, media colleagues alike, is just fucking S in this guy's D. Like, <laughs> like I get it. I get it. Uh, you know, but, like, it, it, you know, I, I just, uh, I don't know, man. I don't know. I got, I got a lot of theories, and I just, I just feel like there are certain fighters that people just overcorrect the steering wheel on. And not only would I, would I, would I warn against it as in say it's not, it's, it's, it, it, you know, you could be on the right, you could end up on the right side of it. You can end up on the right side of it maybe even more times than not. But I, I don't think it's the craziest thing to say that I don't know if it's the safest way to, uh, you know, to go about, to go about business is, is just, just riding hype and, 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 and correcting steering wheels. You let the odds makers and the public do that folks. And you pick your spots accordingly. You don't have to agree with me here, but don't get caught up in the hype. Go with what the evidence has. Um, sometimes you do got to do leaps of faith and admit what it is, you know, um, and, and whatnot. So anyways, I'm, I'm, I believe it or not, I'm happy for Jamal Hill here. I just, and we'll talk about it with this next fight with Clay Leonardo Santos. I hate people making more than what the results were, especially on a card where there are multiple fights. Again, I'm not picking on any person in particular with any fight in particular. I'm talking about the Gen Pop's reaction to the general slate of what these fights produced, which were a lot of gifted results in one way or another. And this one was the same. Clay Guida, or I should say Keith Peterson, defeated Leonardo DeSantos by submission RNC round two. Um, and this sucks because I have a bet on this, so it's gonna look like it's gonna look like sour grapes, even though we didn't get to the William Knight fight. But I'm I'm just as honest and down to earth about my winnings and losses as I am about the other perspective of winnings and losses, if that makes sense. But, um, and everybody's like, oh, you can't take away from Guida. He had heart and toughness. And it's just like, A, back to the, th the thing I've been talking about, because uh, we've had plenty of fights reminding us of this, is that I want to be careful about lauding fighters' toughness. Especially in the sport, what we know about head trauma, um, how the sausage is made, these turnarounds, the bullshit commissions, the fact that no one from the corner to the coaches to the doctors are really looking out for these fighters' safety. Um, I really want, you know, I really want to be careful to laud fighters' toughness because, A, they're the one, we're not talking about the cost, which is what's really going on. And, B, it takes away from the narrative of what's really going on, which is um, the officials uh, interviewing, intervening. The one thing they don't want to do, the whole reason why they don't take points and just completely leave it to the wild, wild west still as far as that whole side of the fucking sport, air quotes, slash officiating side of the sport. It's because of that, um, they don't want to intervene. But inadvertently, they end up I intervening in these fights by not doing anything either. Um, Keith Peterson, you could say he's been consistent. And even though we could point to the Dom Cruz thing, you could argue that that changed his... Shout out to John Anik, I think, on the Anik and Florian podcast. You could argue that that changed his perspective. was like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to give these fighters the respect. So I know we can use that Dom Cruz thing against them, but I also want to throw that out there as a defense for Keith Peterson here. Um, because we didn't just see that in the Marais, um, 
what do you call uh, Marais uh, Marab fight. But another fight that I was studying for this card, I forget which one what it was, but there was another fight where he he really let it go, <clears throat> and it might have been oh, oh, my it might have been Paiva, um, what do you call it? Paiva's last fight against uh, Kyler Phillips, right? Um, but either way, it, it was the body language for me. Like Keith didn't even look like he was reacting; like he was kind of hurt. He looked like he was Herb Dean asleep at the wheel. And when you go back to look at the other ones to, to, that you would point to in Peterson's defense, where he also let it go of recent. Well, even Pete, and I know Peterson's mode, like he, he's not like Dan Mergliata, you know, but again, body language means a lot, right? Dan, Dan Mergliata kind of is very animated and kind of unsure, and you get a lot of those calls. The same with Mark Smith. They're kind of jittery. Their calls are jittery. Hmm, right? Keith Peterson and Herb Dean are kind of super chill. Hmm, they coincidentally fall asleep at the wheel and are a bit a little lackadaisical on stoppages. Hmm, again, who you are as a person. If you're a bully, you're probably not a counterfighter for the most part, right? Who you are as a person probably translates into your fighting style. This is something I've long preached. I've heard people that I respect in the industry, like Connor Rebush, uh, talk about it on, on, on Tangredome. Shout out to Tuman. Um, and I also believe a similar theory, you know, you could make that connection in any job, really, but a similar line also goes for roughing. And if and when you look at that one, he just looks completely just kind of checked out. And then two... Um, Santos does, and this isn't talked about enough because a lot of times in these stoppages, whether it's Dean, Peterson, whoever, these egregious stoppages, a lot of the common threads is you have the fighter appealing to the ref to stop the fight. And Santos was definitely doing that. He was definitely playing the game when you could have stopped it, sure, but it wasn't quite clear. Believe, uh, believe me, I'm not the blinders. There was definitely a, a, a large majority of the moments where it looked like Clay was still in the fight. So I'm not arguing that. And it was at those moments where Santos was doing that, which will turn it from maybe like a 40-year favor, 60, probably should still going, uh, chance of the ref's going to stop the fight, to like 10% ref's ch chance going to stop the fight because you're challenging subconsciously whether a ref feels this way, whether a ref feels like he or she is taking it personally or not. They do because it's what we see and it's what the human ego does. Um, you're challenging their control. And... It may be annoying to hear Mark Goddard, who is a great ref, say, I'm in charge here. I'm in control. This is more octagon. But he's completely right. And those facts are drilled into the referees and officials for good reason. That being said, because it's drilled into their head, when a fighter appeals like that, you end up getting the ref doing a subconscious, oh, oh no, I'm in charge here. I'll, no, I'll tell you when it's over. Right? Right? Kind of like what a parent does. No, no, I'll tell you when this is. And then then maybe dinner doesn't come as early, right? They, they, they make you wait a little later. That's how I was in my family. But, uh, you know, it it, um, it just, it, it's very much the, of that. Um, so when I saw that, I was worried. I'm, okay, now we're definitely not getting a stoppage. But amongst the round, almost round-long flurry, it felt like, uh, uh, here's where it's, it's hard not to argue. Should have been stopped. Um, at the second point, where it probably should have been stopped, where it really should have been stopped was the knee when he knees him all the way to the ground. Because with the, the body shot thing, you could, you know, use Overeem, Travis Brown, and some other fights for, for precedence there, right? It was a very similar thing. Um, but that knee to the face. Now he's concussed, and he did the body language drop. Or even if he popped back up, um, you still couldn't blame the ref because of body language, right? On anybody, right? Body language, right? So Hudo Dillashaw, body language is why I don't blame the ref there and why I would argue you shouldn't. Um, 
second to that, people will be like, oh, well, Clay, Clay popped back up. Like, the, the, he, Clay's hard to stop. I'm like, yeah, he's hard to stop. But even the times where he was knocked out, you go back to those fights, Clay pops right back up in those fights and starts jogging around and telling everybody he's okay. That's what Clay does. So does that mean we just we just should never stop a fight with Clay Guida in it? You know, and shout out to Bazooka Joe Valtellini on the TSN MMA show. He said a point that's true that I barely hear anybody say, and no one certainly said here that I heard anyway, which was that everybody's using it as a defense. Clay Guida's tough. Clay Guida's tough, which, A, is, again, it's wrong. We shouldn't lie the toughness because that toughness is going to get him into more trouble, And which was Joe's point, which was that, I'm like, well, if that's the defense, I would argue that's a bad defense. I would argue that's more of a reason why it should be stopped. It's because, and people know this, it's the BJ Pens, it's the Guidas, it's the guys who are known f- for having a chin or being able to take a beating. Those are the guys who end up worse off in their careers and after their careers on the medical sheets and beyond. Uh, and I completely agree with Joe, who has been there. Not just dedicated his life to martial arts, like, but he's actually fought. And he knows the costs. So um, I, I would listen to a guy like that when it comes to that shit. You don't got to listen to me about anything. I don't give a fuck. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. And again, I wish I didn't have a bet because I feel like this would ring more true instead of like sour grapes here. It gets all, it's all in the game to lose these bets. And yeah, in my defense, like what was the last one this happened where it probably should have been stopped? It was uh, St. Denis and Izzy Dos Santos. And who had an inside-the-distance ticket that time, too? This guy. So, yes, I am in a position that there's, there's definitely bias, whether it's deserve it or not. Uh, that being said, I wish there wasn't that bias because I really mean this. Because I really do hate And I've said this before, folks. I said it about fucking Ortega Volkanovsky. I, don't, I didn't have a bet on that fight. Um, you know, I, I hate it. This becomes the narrative. Oh, He's he's so tough. Oh, he's so tough though. Like, uh, look, it's a. Or I hate that 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 argument. You know. Well, you know, he probably should have stopped it. But the fact that Clay Guida came back to Juan means that it was a a good non stoppage. It's like, let me sum up this whole rant with this, folks. Unless you knock someone dead or choke someone dead and they stay dead, a fighter, no matter how bad a condition will eventually come back. We've seen it. Boxcar Homer is not just a reference from a cartoon. It's something that's happened in literally every division, in every era, in every year of this sport. To pretend that it's some kind of relevation, that the ref knew it was he was going to be fine and make a comeback all along, and in fact, it wasn't a bad call, but we should praise the ref for a good call and laud this guy's toughness. Like, we're lucky we haven't seen a fucking murder at this point, folks. I'm not even kidding. I'm not even being hyperbolic. We've had so many bad stoppages. I'm surprised we didn't have, like, an after effects. This person died, died the next week. Uh, and we're, we're we're probably I hate to say it, but we're probably due for one at this rate. And I'm not going to be surprised when it happens. And I'm going to rub it in everybody's fucking face who says hey, that was a good stoppage. He got to show his toughness. Good non stoppage. Oh, and that's what I hate about this stuff too. Because and again, it has nothing to do with the bet. It's because you know it was just like and again, shouts to the guys like the fight site uh, Ed Gallo. He's one of the only people I heard this say, say it about uh, Julian Arosa a few weeks ago or months ago. I'm a fan of Julian Arosa. He trains out of the gym that I train out of. Um, 
and, uh, you know, he seems like a good guy. He looks like the dude from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Not hating on him. But I didn't like that he took a fight so fast after a really bad knockout loss when he's got a history of that shit. And even though it was good that he won, he got concussed in the win again, and he actually got damaged, and, and I don't think anybody was talking about that. And it's it's not that you wish bad on people, but you just hate to see bad faith rewarded. And whether it's in the form of matchmaking, gambling and analysis, uh, officiating calls, whatever the the subject we're talking about, that's that's kind of what irks me there. You know, um, is 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 the bad faith stuff coming through, and no lessons even being taken from it. You can't you can't get results in this game, folks. You can't guarantee any of that shit. But you know, I just I just I just hate not seeing us learn from the same lessons and re- repeating the same mistakes and coming coming away with the same bad narratives. You know, I'm talking about you know Clay Guida's amazing submission. <laughs> like no, it was fatigue because of because <laughs> of a bad non stoppage call, and, and it's fine. Good for Clay Guida. Good for people that cash. Like, I I think I had $17 on the fight. Like, I'm clearly, this isn't $17 worth of anger. That's not where it's coming from, folks. It's principle here. You don't got to agree with me. You don't got to like me. But I'm a fucking man of principle. And I show my fucking work for it. Um, this one you got to give complete credit to. This was not a gift at all. Um, Chris Curtis defeated Brendan Allen via second round TKO. Very happy for the action, man. Pick Brendan Allen here. Got scared off of him for the parlays and and plays for good reason. Um, yeah, because I was thinking about parlaying him too at the beginning of the week. I'm like, nope, nope, not gonna, not gonna. I may pick against the action man, but I can't disrespect him um, after what what he did to to, to Haas. And I he did you know got the counter on Allen. He's, I still think he's in the wrong division, but man, it's gonna be matchup based. You know, I expect a big overcorrection in the steering wheel. I'm going to look like the biggest Chris Curtis hater if I like I pick against him for the third time in a row. And again, it's circumstances, it's short notice in the wrong way class against guys who seem to be on a roll, who share the camp and should have been sharing notes and should have better known better, but they didn't. That's fine. Not trying to take away from Curtis. Curtis is the man. But again, folks, back to overcorrecting the steering wheel. Expect it. You know, you got, especially a striker. Oh, knockout. Oh, you know, um. Props, props to the Sharpheads who have been on them already. You know the the Cody Sta- uh, Cody Saftics of the world and whatnot. Like props to those people. But I'm just saying, watch out. There's going to be some overcorrecting the steering wheel, um, going on from the odds makers and the, and the Gen Pop. All right. Alex Morono defeated Mickey Gall via unanimous decision. Uh, I kind of wish I played the decision prop, but did say that Morono was um the most uh. Reliable probably parlay piece in the card. So even though my parlay uh, crashed and burned, um, he did come through as a leg. Um, Dusko Todorovic defeated Maki Patolo. First round TKO. This was just awful. Bad play. Uh, it reminded me, this was a bad mistake by me, not just for putting money on Maki, but I think this one I think ended up in the play, play sheet for Oddsbreaker, which was bad as well. I shouldn't have, even if there's non-bias attached, and I could appoint from a skills perspective uh, that Maki was the better fighter and we're getting him for plus money. Of course, that doesn't matter with Maki, as I should have known, but we were reminded of, right? Um, but uh, no, uh, he. regardless of that, he, he's, you know, 
not even Hawaiian from Extreme Couture, Extreme Couture fighter, fighter under Eric Nixick. Um, and it sucks when I'm right and I can't take full credit, but that's just the game, you know. I gotta, I gotta put these in a neutral corner, whenever I, regardless of whether I pick or play them. Um, so that's definitely my mistake, and apologies for any of you guys that played it. And really bad fight IQ and fortune for Maki. The fact that Todorovic came into that fight with a mangled foot, apparently. So yeah, um, Manel Kopp defeated Jalgas Jumagulov. First round TKO. Uh, boy, to be wrong emphatically on that one was whew. But at the same time, um, I don't regret, you know, uh, hopefully you listen to me. And if you did, did, t- did tell me, which I wasn't telling you to do, but I said if you did, only put it on small because it's more of a value pick. You don't got to put a lot to get a lot in the return for the number you were getting on Jalgas. Uh, and he came up and it came out and started making me look good. But something I think he, 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 he taught us is that, uh, you know, we can be suspect of cops output all we want but if you wake the sleeping giant he will um he will he will smash and uh you know you got to survive that so it's like you know you, you probably gotta need a fighter that's got to fight him strategically and i don't know if uh nicolau meant to do it but that's kind of maybe how you do have to fight cop you know with the counters and out counter the counter fighter and don't trigger the explosions um where juma gulov gave him the building materials uh um early um, that being said, again, Cop uh, was already uh, drawing inflated odds and hype. Um, now that he's looking to come into his own and looking like he's, he's he's deserving it, which I'm not denying, but I'm saying expect a big overcorrection in the steering wheel. That being said, it's only going to be the top guys that I would be comfortable picking, much less playing against a guy like Cop. Curious to see where he goes, especially if he sticks with uh, Extreme Couture. That's going to be really interesting. So. Uh, definitely ain't mad at being wrong at that one in more ways than one. Brian Barberina defeated Darian. Weeks v. Unanimous decision. I wasn't watching this one too closely. Apparently it was closer than it needed to be, which was the fear here. Um, but that being said, the result and the price tag, you know, matched up uh, as far as a bargain, even though you probably sweat your ass off watching it, I imagine. Um, Cheyenne Vlismus defeated Mallory Martin v. Unanimous decision. This should not have gotten fight of the night. Again, you guys know me. I'm, a, I'm always picky about the bonuses and usually I'm happy when the prelim get fighters gets it over the main event but there's at least like two fights that deserved it over over that you know but Dana has a weird thing for Cheyenne you can't tell so read between the lines Thick Willie defeated Alonzo Menafield easy money just kidding no um, not easy money at all uh, I did score it I agree. The judges who unanimously scored it rounds one and three, as did as did me and most who follow criteria. But this is why bad narrative narrative so dangerous. This is why I was having that conversation before this DC cruise thing even became a hot topic with some of my colleagues. Um, and it's just because it's 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 these bad scoring narratives. People don't bother to do their job, and they put it out there, and it's like a damn telephone game, and you have all everybody parroting. And I don't want to say, you know, and and you get smart people too, like. I, I had someone who was a, a longtime friend, listener of this show and others, smart guy, longtime fan. But <laughs> I was joking. I'm like, MMA is is so volatile with misinformation. It was so rife with misinformation and divisiveness. It's it's almost just as bad, if not, as <laughs> is the current state of American politics. Um, because you see, it's like the same thing. You see what otherwise is it, it just like, smart people getting really upset at, at it slash even me for just explaining why 
And, you know, I know I do my thick willy tweet, yeah. But, like, aside from, like, aside from that, like, I just explained. I did another comp tweet explaining because, yes, they'll be kind of passive-aggressive, but it's just it's, it's in an effort to help cr- correct the bad narrative if both broadcast and or my timeline <clears throat> is saying something like, oh, the, he outlanded him in significant strikes or something. I'm usually the ones quick go, significant strikes do not tell the story of a fight. You know, I'm always trying to like be reminding of those, you know, uh, reminding of those things. And for this, it was just like when you press against the cage, you run the risk of losing the round due to a big moment, especially if you're not even doing like Menafield wasn't even really kneeing to the thighs at a bare fucking minimum. So when you attempt and land more attacks and visually are the more damaging striker, then you win the round. Now, the damage can't be argued that he did in round one. He steals that round. But round two, people are like, well, there wasn't any damage. Well, he was whiffing on a lot of power shots. I'm like, he did. But if you look at it, Thick Willie actually, for whatever reason, starts actually like jabbing in that third round. And he actually sits down on some good jabs. And one of them staggers Menafield back. Now, I don't think Menafield was hurt. I think he was just tired is why he staggered back. But still, this is nothing new. We've seen it like... I don't know if Jacare and Gaslam is an example of that, but like you see that with fighters with the, that have bad body language um, that can arguably win rounds with the harder shots, but their body language, you know, it's not an, a popular thing to say. I know it can be said at the wrong times by broadcast, but it, there is some truth to body language winning and losing you certain rounds. Uh, and in a round where nothing happened and one guy is swinging hard and it's hard to tell what lands and what doesn't in real time, but you see the other guy going backward and kind of scu- shuffling back and taking a deep breath and his eyes look kind of weary. Like, is that because he's tired or did he just get rocked there? Because you know, um, a lot of the uh, you know a lot of the power shots may have whiffed or hit on the arms, which is the case a lot of the times. You know, so let's not be selective if we're gonna say that. But he actually has some nice step in jabs that he lands at least two in the last ten seconds even. And again, in a fight where nothing around where nothing happened. This isn't that hard to quantify. And it's, it, it, it sucks that the fucking misinformation is so bad that, you know, not just bothering my pet peeves, well, now I got to bother your ears by fucking ear pounding my few listeners I have left. But now I even got fucking friends getting upset at me in my fucking timeline, arguing with me bad faith arguments because of the fucking bad, bad narratives from the broadcast. That's not from the whole broadcast. Anik is the fucking man. Um, and a lot of the, a lot of the commentators or analysts do their job. Um, you know, uh, uh, Cruz obviously does the prep work. I think Felder does a bit too, you know, talking to him. I, I imagine he does a bit. And then, you know, Bisping walks the line fairly well as far as entertainment and actual analysis. You know, everyone has their own types. I'm not trying to fucking decide who I'm, I'm just trying to say, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to blanket fucking say it's bad but because of mainly people like dc or rogan you get a lot of bad narratives off of that broadcast booth that unfortunately we we all have to deal with and make sense of so uh, that sucks but yeah and i've been on the wrong side of these things too which was the funny thing like this week and last week like the, the, the few bets i get right i got shit for i'm like the fuck man i'm getting like bad bounces like for two weeks straight on like <laughs> So much shit. I'm like if I finally get a good, a, a, I don't even know if it's a good bounce. It's how it should have been scored. I don't. Should I even count that as a bounce? I don't know. But I'm getting shit for it. I 
the fuck is wrong with you people? Jesus fucking Christ. Claudio Puelas defeated Chris Gritzmacher via sub, knee bar. Uh, again, I don't know how much we learn from this because Puelas likes to grapple. Um, round three knee bars is something he's done before. And even though his striking does look a bit better, he's essentially still just spamming variations of power crosses and power kicks from his from his left-hand side, which was like something that all the southpaws from Peru did. I'm not seeing, in other words, I'm not seeing much growth from that regional scene. Like, I'm seeing a little more sharpening of the striking. He should be. He's at fucking Henry Hoofs. Um, his wrestling is slightly improving to get it there, but Chris Gritzmacher is not one for uh, defensive wrestling. Um, and, you know, credit to DC, what, what he is good at is wrestling analysis, and he was literally laughing and how bad his shots were and the fact that they were still working. So a guy is using bad shots, showing some improvement, but really not a ton, especially in like a spiritual sense of who he is or is supposed to be. And he's taking down one of the worst fights. And I bet on him. So, you know, uh, or I sprinkled on a Gritzmacher. I know it wasn't original. Uh, it wasn't an original one, but uh, I, I, I put a few ducats on him. So keep that in mind, granted. But... I, I don't know how much I should even be impressed because Gritzmacher, not only is he not great, but the reason why I bet on him is because he looks better than that than, than how he did. And it wasn't even like late he faded, which is which would still be very much unlike Gritz. Um, he looked out of it from the beginning. And even people who like Gritz, don't like him, picked him, picked against him, everybody was saying, saying that. That was unanimous. So again, I'm not trying to be a dick and, and take away from Puelas, but like... What did we learn? Like, and people are like, oh, this kid's like, oh, and then see, like, him getting so hyped up. Like, okay, keep hyping him up. Hopefully, we'll get a nice line on him. Vince Morales defeated Luis Smoker by first round KO. I definitely don't want to take away from Vince Morales here, but this was another one where, uh, you know, uh, I ended up playing some Smoker inside the distance uh, because of his durability. And I didn't, and Morales wasn't going to sub him, so he's like, he's got to knock, he's got to beat him by decision. Nope. Uh, Louis Smoke <laughs> suffers the first knockout of his career. Like the, his biggest attribute is his durability, and uh, he went out almost like Family Guy cartoon style, like folded against the fucking mat. So again, not taking away from Morales, but uh, these were the kind of beats we <laughs> we were getting that night. And again, man, I'm not complaining. It's all in the game. Uh, losing that, I'm not complaining. It's more. I'm more annoyed with just how the narratives of the fight are being taken after the fact and how those tend to happen and how they did happen. However, I guess the silver lining is we take these notes that I went awfully extensive on. Apologies. And uh, that's why I'm getting this out of daylight earlier. Um, and we learn from them. We take our notes and hopefully, hopefully uh, proven right on that inflation and that could provide some interesting opportunities should you want to take them. All right, moving on. Jesus, 58. That was a long recap. All right, UFC 269. We've got headline, lightweight title fight. Charles Oliveira defending the title. He's the underdog, plus 135. And it's challenger, Poirier, minus 155 as the favorite. All right, um, so for this card, like a lot of these cards, I think it's just, you know, this is a fight where it's like, especially it's in the end of the night, you, you know, fighters you like. Personally, how can you hate either guy? Fun fight on paper. Extremely volatile to bet. You, sh you should, by all counts, just stay away from this fight and enjoy your night. However, 
I feel like I'm just trying to, you know, I'm going through the car, the fights that I want to target and trying to get through. And I did good good research on this cards. Um, it's a, it's a, it was a lot to get through, so I didn't get through it all. But I'll tell you what that is because I avoided it. And to be honest, they're probably fights um, I put on my the back of my priority list because they were fights that I slash you probably should not want to bet anyways, okay? Um, that being said, uh, I want to stick to my reads. And what I usually read the best... Some reads come in a undercard fight, which we'll get to, but even those have a decent sample size. But yes, sample size. The fighters we're most familiar with. That's been kind of the learning lesson and the takeaway from the plays that are hitting to the plays that are missing, or at least the plays that I feel feel good about and at least was able to show the work on. Sometimes you get a you get a beat, sometimes you don't. That's just the name of the game, folks. I'm again, I'm fine with losing. It's fine. We we you gotta be if you're doing this game. That's not you know you know that that's not the issue here nor there. Um, but I am going to put myself in a position to be really sad in a fight that, you know, you probably should stay away from if you can. But I just feel like the value is on Oliveira, uh, not just because he's obviously the plus money equation. But I feel like um, the dynamic and the directionality of the fight slightly favors him. Um, I feel like the general breakdown you're getting, which is not wrong, is that Poirier is more proven in five-round affairs. Um, finding ways to win, surviving, heart, or whatever attribute you want to label it, you can do that without discounting Oliveira. And without discounting Oliveira and giving him credit in his improvements in that area as opposed to the stereotypical condemnations he typically receives, you could still, without disrespecting Oliveira again, make the argument that, yes, Poirier um, has the advantage in those areas over Oliveira. However... Although I do agree that round three to round five is DP country, phrasing. Um, I don't know if we get to those rounds, much less the championship rounds. Um, when I I believe when I, I wanted to go back and listen to it, but I also wanted to keep my filter clean, especially from smart people. Um, I don't want to be, you know, influence, which is another reason why I don't get why people have other people do prep for them. I want my own thoughts, baby. Proud of him, um, you know, and I'm not telling anybody, you know, to, to rely on my reference as you should reference. But anyways, um, I'm seeing, yeah, a lot of the arguments is that you know he's gonna he's gonna get there. But my, my thing is that it's the directionality of this fight. Both fighters are at their best when they're pressuring at heart, right? They both came in as brawlers and had to refine their style. Now they are both deceptively flexible at fighting off the back foot when they need to or are put there, deceptively flexible to counter. Obviously, Poirier is much more developed, much more pronounced, much more proven to having to fight in those areas than Oliveira. But Oliveira will have sneaky check hooks that he does have loaded up uh, a lot if you look for him are really nicely done when he can shift backwards and forwards into those um good reactive shot um so he has his own tools too you know albeit different um albeit arguably not as air quotes good on paper or diverse or however you want to put it uh, as far as that goes but they both do their work going forward so in these kind of matchups it's i always try to say okay who is going to go who has the better chance of going backwards? Who's the who's the one who gives ground? Now, that doesn't mean I'm automatically going to pick the person who gives ground, but it does play a big part into the analysis how it will play out. And I believe that person will be Poirier. Um, if you go back to Poirier's last four fights, 
if you compare their last four fights back to back to each other, if you compare their last eight fights back to back to each other, or if you compare their entire library, and I've done this, I did, I did the work on this one. This doesn't mean I'm going to guarantee you the result. No, folks, I'm just saying I did the work for whatever that's worth. You will see that Oliveira or Poirier will take the back foot against the fence a lot more, particularly, more importantly, more relevantly, lately. And what does Oliveira do when he pushes toward the fence? He's looking for a takedown. Or a flurry that leads to a takedown from him. Or a flurry that forces you to take down. And not only does Poirier get pushed back, and I, I measured it, in the last three fights it only takes about a minute to a minute and a half for him to get to push. For the first, last four fights, I believe every minute to a minute and a half, Dustin Poirier ends up with his back to the fence in both rounds one and two. Uh, except for the fight that didn't go to round two, obviously, the last one. Um, that's not good. Uh, Poirier, whether he's given the guillotine or not, not great defensive wrestling. Um, I'm sure he has a good guillotine, which is why he's confident in going to it, but until he gets somebody in it, and I, I don't even know how much to wait to put into that uh, Khabib uh, catch that he got, um, I don't know how much weight to really put into it, right? Uh, he got a lot of, you know, even back when, how many Bravo chokes did he have? Because when they were like, Kenny Florian was calling the fight, he's like, Korean Zombie choked him out with his own choke. Uh, he had one. He had one Bravo choke, and that's including his amateur career that I'm seeing, Dustin Poirier. And they called it his choke. Now, he would get one later in the next fight after against Jonathan Brookins to, to, to Poirier and Kenny and anybody else who... Annoyed him that credit, but yeah, um, I don't even see I don't see a guillotine on here. Some arm bars and triangle arm bars early on. Um, the body triangle, which was a rib break of Pettis's, gets sub by Habib. So yeah, since uh, you know almost a decade ago, since that fight to Jonathan Brookins hasn't hasn't gotten a, an actual submission. So I don't, you know, um, that being said, I feel like his defense could be deceptively good. He could survive there like Paul Felder did if you want to play the presumptive, presumptive math. I feel like that's much more of a meaningful and bankable presumption is that if somebody specializes it or considers it their specialty, well, I got to imagine they can deconstruct it and defend it fairly well too, right? Um, so, you, you know, Dustin's got that going his way, but if he gives a takedown, well, then what's going to happen? Um, but, you know, and if he doesn't give a takedown, he may go for the takedown and have to be forced to answer that front headlock scenario that I just kind of pitched out there. Right. And because that's another thing. And that was the reason why I picked another reason why I picked Aldo and we saw that. Um, we saw it as part of the game plan and quite surprisingly successfully at first for Font, but it worked against him in the third round and, and was a crucial turning point You know when he went for the take down and got biffed and reversed. And I laid out that exact scenario on this show and in my breakdown, my written breakdown, uh, which was a big reason for me picking him over Font because Font, when he's meaningfully pressured, and sometimes on his own accord when he just kind of crashes, uh, when he crowds the exchange and is uncomfortable, he will drop for takedowns, pull guard, or kind of do that of the sort. And Poirier won't pull guard per se, but he goes for takedowns all the time. 
um, in his beginning of his career, and much more, you know, and, and and more so toward the end, especially with like kickers and dynamic threats. Right, that was the game against Poy. That was the game against Pettis. That was the game against Hooker. You know, he was pressuring against these guys against the fence and getting the takedown. So. Even if Poirier is the one pressuring and is the one shooting, is that any better? You're going to shoot on DeBronx and, you know, put it in in that realm? And regardless of who shoots or who goes to the cage, both guys have a propensity to get there against the cage and in grappling scenarios one way or the other, right? So Poirier does get taken down or has to get back to his feet from a scramble because he initiated the ground game. Well, how does he get up? Shouts to my man Agent Ben 10 who tweeted, uh, tweeted this. I she tweeted that sooner. I would have added it. I would have uh, used that uh, in my uh, like gif in my my breakdown. Um, but you know, Poirier will turtle because he's he's confident. He's you know, he's kind of like uh, Pettis, although he doesn't do it and go to it as much as Pettis as far as turning in some inside someone's guard. But he's got a similar grappling style where both he and Pettis kind of bait submissions to advance, right? And that's a real dangerous line to walk. Now it paid off for Pettis. Um, just like it paid off for Felder. You got through the waves, and you were able to, air quotes, break Oliveira, right? Um, but if you go back and watch those fights, like, uh, one, I mean, those were just really hard elbows, and I picked and played Felder in that fight for a reason. Um, you know, it was a close fight. It was a dangerous fight, but uh, he he was the dog end of that equation, right? Um, which is rare, especially back then. Usually, usually... Oliveira is plus money money line with with the value I went with with uh, I believe with Felder on that one I believe um, and uh, but you know credit to Oliveira you know he, he I mean I, you get smashed like that uh, after you know your arms getting burned out you know I I think a lot of guys would have crumbled there and the Pettis one he actually puts a, a much better fight than I remember. He puts up a really good fight in that one. And, like, there's parts where you think he would break to stereotype Oliveira, and he doesn't. And that fight was over half a decade ago, folks. That fight and the Llamas fight run back-to-back, right? And you got to remember, he was having trouble. Those were his last two fights at featherweight because the guy was having trouble missing weight. He missed weight a whole bunch of times to where he had to, like, come in ultra-strict on that Pettis fight, and it was weird. He weighed in at 143, then he comes in on his next fight in short notice at elevation. And the second time he was guillotined against Ricardo Lamas and weighed in at 155. And then he never went back to featherweight ever again. So, and that was a half decade ago. And not only did Oliveira was he a lot tougher in those fights than what the stereotype of your memory may serve you if you go back and watch those, but... Both of those were the perfect guillotines in the sense that not only were they Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belts that were really good ones in Lamas and Pettis getting those, um, but A, Lamas actually kind of uses the fence to get his. He puts his toe in there to get some extra leverage. I don't know if he gets the tap if not because he had Oliveira in it for a minute without tapping until he had his toe in the fence there. Um, But also with both those, those were also the perfectly timed guillotines where... Oliveira, he gets into this like auto shoot mode where he gives his head neck, which is bad, and that's how he gets into trouble in the first place, which is true. But the reason why I believe he gets finished is because he's confident he can do a hopover defense. But if you look at both these exchanges with Pettis and Lamas, right before he gets guillotined, they happen away from the cage. But the scramble is very similar. 
where Oliveira re-wrestles in, and he re-wrestles them toward the cage. And they smartly go to the guillotine side, where they essentially um, cut Oliveira off. Uh, they, they put themselves up against the cage on one side, and they have a guillotine airtight against the other. And when it's airtight like that, it makes it hard, nay near impossible, to jump over to the other side to clear that space. So the fence is helping you secure the guillotine. So you don't even need the legs in optimum position. So as long as you have optimum or semi-optimum squeezing leverage, um, the cage can actually assist you in the defense and the finish, uh, which it did in both those scenarios. So I'm not saying, you know, I'm not saying, what I'm saying is the planets aligned a little more than y'all, than I think most people realize there. I'm not saying it can't happen here. Dustin Poirier is a black belt. He likes guillotines. He goes for him. But it's going to have to be some kind of a, that exact scenario. Um, and what I believe to be more happen is for Poirier to get out of the submissions and, and, and probably just ground and pound him, you know, against the, against the cage like he did with Joe Duffy, you know, from round three, finishing him probably in like round three or something. Um, that, that would be the round that I would sprinkle in a Poirier. I'd sprinkle in like Poirier inside the distance and Poirier like round three if you're a Poirier player. But no, I'm going Dubronx, uh, plus 140. Since the inside the distance line was that, I just played the money line at 0.77U. I took by sub plus 310, um, for 0.33U. And I think round one and round two are the rounds you want to play if you're a round player or a round sprinkler for Dubronx. But I did the combo props uh, because you can get a round one sub at plus 950 for Charles Dubronx at Bet Online and round two sub for plus 1250. Those were stupid. I only put 0.17 on those. You don't, again, I'm, I'm keeping small, but like, fuck, if you're a Dubronx lover, I don't blame anybody for sprinkling nice on those fat fucking numbers because that's how and where he's going to win it from, um, in my opinion. Uh, but yeah, you go the money line to cover any TKO or any, any kind of craziness. Um, if you like Oliver, I'm not telling you where to put your money folks. All right. Long breakdown on that one. We'll go faster on some of these other ones. Like this one, Amanda Nunes minus 1000, Juliana Pena plus 650. Um, taking Nunes, obviously I hate this fight. I'm glad it wasn't going on on my birthday because like low key, which probably wasn't surprising you about one of these fighters, but probably surprises you about the other. These are two of my least favorite fighters. Um, has nothing to do with him. Being women or anything like that or none of that stuff. I just, as fighters, it's not my favorites for a couple different reasons. Um, and I'll just leave it at that. I wish them the best. Uh, you know, it's it, it's hard not to be a fan of Nunez, right? What, what she's been doing. And, you know, uh, obviously, you know, with Nina Nunez and her baby, cutest, cutest fuck family. How can you hate that? Um, and, hey, man, shout out to Juliana Pena for taking time off from this crazy sport to focus on family. I don't necessarily agree with coming back to it. She doesn't necessarily look much better coming back to it. I'll say that. Um, but here she is. I'll say that. Uh, and I guess I'll just close it off by saying that I took... I think here's the play here. I, I only put um, two props. I'll probably do a third. I think round two is the most likely path to finish. I was going to go the more late finish last decision because Pena is durable, which is true. But man, her head movement is terrible. And for a girl who is a do or die submission grappler, or, you know, lives and dies by the submission grappling, boy, can she die by the submissions too? You forget. Um, 
uh, and Nunez hits on Godly. So here's what it is. It's going to be a club, but is it going to be a club and sub? Well, um, I would lean a little bit more toward the sub than the club. You're also going to get more value with the sub. So here's how I played it. Uh, I sprinkled Nunez round one KO plus 225.17 units. And then I sprinkled round two sub. So Nunez round one KO, because if it ends in the first, it's probably going to be by KO or a TKO. Um, like more of a clean, the clean KO, right? Uh, whereas realistically, whether it's a, a tritive TKO or a sub, you're going to have to at least go into round two for a durable fighter like Pena. So I put round two sub at plus 1400.7U, and I may add round two plus 350 just to cover uh, the TKO slash add a bonus if she subs her, of course, maybe at 0.17 units. But that that is the only ways I'll sprinkle on that fight. Um, you do what you like. I'm not telling you where to put your money. Next fight, something like Yago Ponzanibio. Uh, I'm a little Danny Trejo from Dust Till Dawn, minus 130. Um, Jeff Appeal, Jeff Repeal. <laughs> we'll see what he does with the DUI deal. Neil, plus 110. Um, yeah, uh, hands of steel. Was it behind the wheel? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> trying to rhyme. Um, Jeff Neal, plus 110. Yeah, I, I, values on Neal here. You know, again, if you want to go with last week, you know, it's like, you know, I know he's got to do, it's like both guys have had health issues, right? They're not, they don't seem to be fully recovered from as of yet. Um, they're both, I think two fights removed. Yeah. They're both two fights removed from serious health issues. So it's like, you're betting for one of them to get back on track, assuming one of them gets back on track, because chances are you only have chance for one of them really to get back on track. Um, in my opinion, I feel like the intangibles are worse on the Neil side, but the ceiling is higher, whereas Ponzanibio could be a bit of a natural slide as well as mixed with whatever the hell he had to go through in the past couple of years, right? There's a little bit of both going on there, which would put value with a plus number on Neil. And again, man, again... Southpaw striker, another brother with a turbulent camp. We know what happened last week with Hill. Uh, we could easily see it with Neil here, right? Again, the the, the result that doesn't make sense happening. Um, and I don't know how much it doesn't make sense because on paper, you're essentially, even if these guys were at their best, you would still be looking at a really sketchy first round for Ponzinibbio that he may not survive. Um, but if he does, I think he can pull away because he fights better in extended combinations, extended uh, ex extended uh, exchanges, which could be dangerous with a power puncher who can counter like Neil. But if you can draw that counter or draw out his initial two shots, um, I think he can extend and beat him out past the third and punctuate with the way Ponzinibbio pulls, returns, gets flowing. Generally can get better as the fight goes on. Um, even in this weathered stage of his, right? He's shown that. Uh, and two, secondly, he's one and one, I believe, against Southpaws, but it's hard to uh, quantify that because you got one against Zach Cummings, who is not exactly the picture of striking on the feet, but he is a Southpaw. And uh, the other was uh, Ryan LaFleur, who obviously wrestled him the whole time. So... There's not a huge Southpaw sample, much less a relevant one. That Zach Cummings fight was even like five years ago, half a decade ago almost, right? So how, how, how well does he get the jab going? Uh, however, common thread in the Orthodox and uh, Southpaw matchups, win or lose, is that um, 
fighters who kick at him, especially kick at his legs, because Baeza wasn't the first, by the way. That blueprint was laid out by by a few fighters before that who picked picked up on that from early on in Ponzinibbio's career, right? Um, it's kicks and leg kicks, and Jeff Neal does not kick legs enough. You know that was a big reason why I picked Stephen Thompson, even in the small cage, even at his advanced age, to be able to navigate around Neal. Uh, so I'm going to do the same for Ponzinibbio. However, even with the intangibles in play, even if it's a, a not as good looking Jeff Neal as he hasn't been looking, it's still going to be a very dangerous first round that Ponzinibbio may not survive. So I stay away from this fight. I'd either play play Neal. I'd sprinkle Neil Small at plus money, or I'd stay away. And if you want to play Ponzinibbio, I'd wait till live to see if he survives the first round because um, that, according to my analysis and um, logic, makes more sense. But also you'll get a much better price, probably a plus 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 number next to Ponzinibbio if you want to play him. Uh, not saying you should, just saying that's probably, in my opinion, the way that makes most sense. Next fight... Um, Cody, no love for dogs. Garbrandt, minus 135. Kai Carr, France, plus 115. Let me first state, before I get and mention the Cody Garbrandt thing, I I, I, I hate it for two reasons. One, because I'm, I'm an animal lover. But two, uh, because I I, put, I picked and I played Kai Carr, France here before I found this out. So it completely makes this bias looking, no matter what the result is now. So that sucks. So I, Kai Carr, France is not on the betting sheet that's going to drop on Odds Checker. This is only... For PYM podcast players, but um, I can actually show my work for why I'm picking and playing Car Car France. It's not a confident play. It's not a confident pick. Um, it's not one I recommend you follow me off of. But again, I can show my work on it for what it's worth, and I can tell you that the bias does not have anything to do with it because I did this before this story broke last night, um, as I saw it on my research too. Sounds shouts to the sound of violence podcast um, for getting it out there. Not not afraid to speak up. Shouts to them. Um, but, uh, but yeah, basically, before I just get into the breakdown, Cody Garbrandt and apparently Rumble Johnson, which sucks, ran things like this too. Um, running a puppy mill, which puppy mills in general are fucking bad, and you should not buy animals from them if you can if you can manage not to. Um, and I'm not trying to lecture you guys. I'm not some fucking all-knowing animal person, but uh, I am somebody who is, you know, spent a good portion of my life around multiple bully breeds and currently have some right now that have had ear and tail problems that people claim um, aren't worth it, which is why they dock. However, it is false. Those things do not guarantee uh, the problems will go away. They often cause more surgeries, which in turn cost you more money, even if you don't care about the dogs. How about just caring about your pocketbook? So it doesn't fix the dog, it's cruel, and it costs you more money. By no metrics does any of this shit make sense. Unless you're somebody who, you know, a dog is a fucking fashion statement to you. And in that sense, you can go fuck yourself. I don't care. Because um, dogs are not fashion statements. They're fucking creatures. Um, and they should be respected uh, as living creatures first, not fashion statements. Crazy opinion, I know. Unfollow me for that blasphemy opinion. Um, and mutilating puppies and then selling them for the price of a fucking car. Like, it was like 17 grand or some shit for some of these things. Just because you've modeled them to be like super breeding and super looks. No mention of charity. No mention of proceeds going anywhere. Uh, overpriced. Not just buying into a really broken system and fueling it, but like being amongst the worst of that. Just look at the pictures. Tell me what your fucking heart says. You don't got to be some PETA fucking 
lib animal lover. That's not what this is fucking about. It's just, you know, again, it's, it's about respecting living things, whether they're fucking black, white, gay, straight, fur or no fur. Just having some common decency. I don't know. Crazy. Um, so he's a POS for that, but um, biasedly, I got to break this fight down. He is also the deserved favorite. He looks great. Uh, I don't know how much. I'm not even picking off of like. I'm not even banking that he's gonna have a bad cut. Is why I'm picking Krykar France. Again, I'll, I'll get into showing my work here in a second because Garbrandt looks great. Shared that uh, article with my colleague uh, Farah Hanum, uh, who you should follow. Uh, always does does solid work. Um, Fado does, and um, and yeah, like you know it. it it sounds pretty legit as far as weight cutting goes and approaches go. Um, the extra time from COVID, the extra time to acclimate as opposed to maybe rushing it like it would have been last year. These are all good signs for the Garbrandt camp. Um, he looks and sounds sounds good, all things considered. You look at his body composition, you're like, yeah, maybe he actually could make this jump and it not be too crazy. So I'm actually fully prepared for a regular Cody Garbrandt and predicted it is. So... And as so, um, he's still going to be very fast in this division. Um, do not be surprised if he's faster than Kai Kara France. Do not be surprised if he's faster than still a large part of his contemporaries, even at flyweight. That being said, shouts to the heavy hands guys, Phil and Connor. Um, going down to strike as opposed to going down to grapple, not as good on paper because, yeah, you're still fast. You're still maybe even faster, okay? But that discrepancy... Uh, that gulf that Cody had of speed, that huge gulf that he had at Bantamweight, is smaller now. It is, it is a decent size smaller now that he's moved down to flyweight. That is a fact. He will still have speed edges. Not It's not always the case, so that's good. But that gulf, that differential of his advantage, has now shrunk. Um, And that's regardless of whatever durability, gas tank stuff, that intangible stuff, which is on the table, folks. But it's not why I picked Kaikara France. Kaikara France also looked like he had a, a bit of a, like, okay, he puts more of a pace, you know, again, stats are deceiving because his numbers are high, but I don't know, man, I, I have this visual of him fading in some fights, even fights that he air quotes won, which I scored against him, like the Holly and Paiva fight, um, win or lose these fights where it looks like he's having tough fights and it looks like he could be fading and slowing down. It's not just pressure, which all these fighters put on him, whether it's steady pressure like Paiva or fucking blitzkrieg pressure like brandon royville um it's it's a, it's also a mixture of body work which is why i picked brandon royville and we we, we we cashed on that one if you remember um you know because i again I've, I've been a guy who traditionally faded kaikara france and done well doing so i cashed with brandon moreno and brandon royville particularly the two brandons um but I'm actually picking and backing Kaikara France, which is weird to me. And again, I did this before any of the, the dog bias you can accuse of me. Um, but uh, it, it's it, it, it's that body work. And Garbrandt does not do a ton of body work. He does a little more uh, than you might uh, expect, but he is largely a headhunter. And... He's focused less on the, if you go to the stats and watch the tape, these both coincide. He goes less to the body as his career goes. And as of late, has been going more to the legs, as I highlighted in my last breakdown of his, with all his uh, leg kicks and stuff. 
Um, this could also maybe do with like the Mark Henry approach. Again, Mark Henry likes body work, so I'm not saying that, that, that that's a direct thing, but maybe just how Cody and his sensibilities interpret those sort of strategies, if you will, or tactics. Um, now, however, you know, uh, it's being formulated. I know he's kind of doing double too, so he's got the alpha male influence. So I don't know. C Cody's in kind of a weird spot. Ultimately, at heart, though, he's a really good counterfighter. And could he counter and knock out Kaikara France? Sure. Kaikara France has been knocked out before, um, but uh, he's been rocked, but it, it hasn't been for a while. Um, in his defense, seems like he's got a decent chin. Uh, really good head movement, always consistently rolling, uh, rolling his head, taking his head offline, stepping out to angles on his shifts, um, and have, has a lot of counters and body work himself. So I like that a lot. So my opinion is, as long as Cody doesn't completely blow him out of the water in the first round, um, I think that Kaikara France, who looks like, you know, and I've, I've watched this. There's another thing that I faded him. I'd be, like, I'd be like, oh, he looks a little thicker than when he came into his last fight, coming off his vacation with the wifey, da-da-da-da. And I, I would be minuscule on these things because when I'm betting someone, I try to do that. And, again, I'm I'm 2-0 and betting against Kaikara France, but now I'm taking a chance on the other side of, of the Kaikara France equation here. But... He looks like the uh, the conditioning was a main focus of his because he really wants to test that with it if it goes long. So I like that. I think that he can move uh, between his movement and Cody's movement. That's going to make for a lot of stalemate where Cody will get in his lull where he looks for the big counters. Because if you forget, aside from those not even a handful of moments that he had against Font because he barely had that and the big knockout against the Sun Sal, he really looked lost and, and you couldn't really piece much together so what I'm saying is that Kaikara France can either win a decision or of course the usual uh, stereotypical fate on Garbrandt he can knock him out in an exchange uh, off a counter so I'm going to go with Kaikara France money line to kind of cover both of those um, I was able to get it at plus 135 uh it's moving down, so I would pull the trigger. Uh, I was hoping it would move up because of Cody Garbrandt name value. Um, I mean, if you want to play it, pull the trigger. I'm not telling you to follow me off this cliff. This isn't like the most confident pick in the world. But again, from a technical side, I saw, I see Kaya value. Um, it was opened at a pretty much a pick em for a reason. So he, if he gets spread into plus money, you've got a bit of a value argument there. The intangibles are in his favor, and the work you can show um, as far as stylistic analysis. There's a lot. There, there's a decent amount to like there too, in my opinion. Uh, so I'm gonna go uh, with France there. All right. Next, um, Sean O'Malley minus three twenty. Holly and Piva plus two fifty. All right. This is one of like the only picks that I changed from the verbal tap show. I think I picked Piva off the cuff because I did like no research because it was like at the very beginning of the week and I was just balls deep in a Poirier Oliveira. Um, I ended up going to O'Malley because, again, I'm not a hater, even against Vera where he'd lost, and uh, I, I still picked O'Malley. I didn't play him. I didn't put my money on that dude, but um, I actually thought he could win by decision. So, again, not just show, to show that I am not one just to go against all hype and, you know, hate and, and you know, a, a religious drinker of the haterade, though it may seem that way toward, toward my attitude toward the hyped athletes. It doesn't mean I just religiously pick against them, folks. I, try, I show my work here, whether I pick against him or not. You know what I'm saying? Don't get it twisted. Um, so I'm going to go with O'Malley here because Paiva, he goes to the body, but he's a bit of a slow starter, whereas O'Malley's a fast starter who's improved his pace. And 
uh, Paiva doesn't work the legs enough. He'll completely ignore them some fights. Um, he only did about two or three weeks at uh, Alpha Male. I don't trust him to just go up and, you know, uh, start spamming him here. He does remind me a bit of Charles Oliveira. He's got his Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt now, although he's not as game over as Charles, obviously, down there. But he's got that similar, like, deceptive wrestling where he's got a strong body lock even at this weight class. So that's definitely something to look for here. But you got the big cage and a mover like O'Malley who, granted, he looks like he's more apt to hurt himself than the fighter is to hurt him. That being said, it, it, it's again, it's hard for the fighter to hurt him, much less get a hold of him. Uh, a handle on him. So I'm going to pick O'Malley probably by decision. I stayed the hell away from this fight, though. Next fight, another one you should stay away from, especially stay away from my word. If you're not going to stay away, you don't have to, but just don't listen to me on it. Josh Emmett, minus 155. Danny Ige, plus 135. Uh, bias pick, I'm going to pick Ige here. Um, it's going to be dangerous because I feel like they're both going to hook with each other, and it's either going to go for Ige like it went for Lamas, or it's going to go for Ige like uh, it kind of went for uh, Jeremy Stevens. So I'm going to go with the latter. I'm going to go with my guy Ige, who looks dialed in. Um, I'm not sure if I'll sprinkle on him or uh, biasly or stay away. But, yeah, don't listen to me on this fight. Um, listen to uh, Phil McKenzie at Evil Greg Jackson. He's a big Josh Emmett fan. I love listening to, <laughs> listen to that guy talk about Josh Emmett. It's the best. Uh, all right, uh, next fight. Uh, I'm avoiding this one too. I'm just sit back and watch. Pedro Munoz minus 120 versus Dominic Cruz, plus 100. Uh, Cruz laying the smack down. That's gonna be cringeworthy. To uh, imagine what's what's the live look on DC right now? Is he just like scrambling to get all the? All, he's like he's like oh, I was supposed to play golf and go to all these engagements. He's like oh, I gotta actually study these fights now. So. It's going to suck, though, because I feel like he's going to be like going out of his way to make points to show that he did the did, did it to, to one-up Cruz and to show the fans, and that's going to be the narrative, which sucks, because I'm curious to see how this fight plays out. And maybe I'll just have to turn the commentary down, um, like how plenty of fighters apparently do. Again, you can call Cruz a hater, but he is not the only one that shares these opinions. Augusto Sakai, minus 110. Tied to also minus 110. Taking Sakai, no pick, um, no play. It's staying away. I don't want my money anywhere near this one. Uh, if I wasn't priced out, maybe I would put my money near this one. Bruno Blundell Silva, minus 350. Jordan Wright, plus 270. Um, but I was a little too priced out. Blundell maybe could have made a good parlay piece, but I, I still would have needed a third to put him with Perez, and I just didn't get around to it, and... It didn't feel like a lot of these fights were worth playing, whether for for price or for sample size and what you were really putting your money on in the first place, right? So I stayed away. Next fight I did, Andre Muniz minus 140. Eric Anders plus 120. All right, this is a fight where, oh, God, here it goes. I have a feel, I could really use getting this one right. Eric Anders is not like some young hype prospect, but he is a fan favorite. He, he's a great guy. He's been on... Many of shows that I've been on, uh, many of shows of the podcast you've been on, and I think because of that, whether people pick him or pick against him, they're really hesitant to pick against him, and we're all speaking nice about the guy, and he's, in, he's, he's a good dude. I like Eric Anders, and that's fine. But this is the game of betting. This is the game of fighting, and my job is to break down fighting and betting as it relates, so un as unbiasedly as possible because you can never do it fully unbiasedly, right? But... Man, I feel like I'm seeing the timeline 
and I'm seeing people on Anders. It's worrying me because I'm getting, you know, again, another, another athletic southpaw. Uh, you're explosive. Uh, and that's the extent of the analysis. And that'll 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 get proven right here. Watch, and I'll fall on my face. Because, as you know, even though I feel like the analysis is on my side here for Muniz being the rightful favorite, um, I feel like he should have been bigger. He only opened at minus 120. I got him at minus 133, which I feel is still criminal. He's still playable at minus 140 as playable chalk, in my opinion. Um, is minus 150 or under, depending on your confidence. Um, and this one, I'm playing money line along with it, even though I didn't want to lay that chalk. But because that, I think he can win a decision here. I think that, you know, and even if you go by the stats, I even comb through this pretty tight. Anders has quietly, deceptively good third rounds, even in bad fights, winning or losing, right? And a guy who doesn't get to the third round very much, and the one time he did in recent memory, um, you know, we saw him tired uh, because it was a tiring fight. We have that burnt in our head. And I'm not saying this guy has a good cast tank, Mooney's. In fact, if I were there's a gun in my head, I would say, gun in my head, probably a bad gas tank before I would say he has a good one, okay? That being said... I feel like that narrative could easily be born out, blown out of proportion because we don't have that sample size. I mean, Muniz looks like he's in better shape every time I look on his Instagram for these camps. Training at Tata Fight Team, which is where Tiago Santos Maheta comes from, where they have a cross-training relationship with, of course, American top team, where I believe Muniz has trained before. Anders, however, this is going to be his... Technically, his third camp, albeit second opponent at Fight Ready. And I know MMA gambling, and I cited this too, so I'm, I'm just as guilty. So I, I get where it comes from. But I think a big thing is the Fight Ready narrative, right? Fighters change when they go fight. fight something's in the water. Fighters look, and I've said these things too. I'm not, not hating. This is just the general things being said. And that's all fine. And, and you could be proven right by that. I've been proven right by that kind of real basic, basic ass surface level analysis, right? Um, and that could be the case here, but you know me, basic and surface level analysis isn't enough. Uh, will I point to things that like Sanford does pretty good at trading Southpaws or against Southpaw opponents, you know, I will point to these things and follow them and they're fun. And, uh, especially when you can track them and that's all well and fun. But at the same time, I don't hinge my picks on these things because I still believe at the end of the day to show your work. Now, does it matter? Clearly it doesn't. Look how bad I've been doing. And if you were just betting narratives and, well, the value's here, I'm going to go here. Or this guy's an athletic striker and he's explosive. Or he's the younger guy. And you go for those more common uh, uh, betting narratives. You would actually be way better than me. Good on you. Um, but, again, I, I, at the end of the day, it comes to doing the work. And even if this is not my best year for picks, I'd say overall I'm fairly consistent of the bunch and one of the few that offer you even this amount of in-depth. So I'll take it. Not saying I'm the best. Plenty of people to do it even better than me. And I, I do my best to shout them. But I got to show the work for it here. And the fact is, is that even, it's, this is what sucks, is that, this is what I said last week about Jamal Hill. I'll say the same thing. Eric Anders can win here. And, and whether it's, you know, it, it could be by knockout again, right? Because we, we've seen Mooney's when he has faced a southpaw before and, um, um, that Russian dude who was on from Contender Series was on the fight that was canceled. He got caught crossing crosses, splitting crosses down the, down the center line. Um, so I get that, but the crappy part is is that Eric Anders can win, and I'm going to say the same thing. I'm going to say easy money, you know, and all these things, and it's just like 
that's what I'm going to be against here. I'm okay if I lose, especially if a guy like Eric Anders wins. Especially, I know some friends of the, the show that are on him. I'll be happy for them. But here's what I'll be upset about. Any motherfucker going easy, and I'm gonna people are gonna do it just to piss me off for for shits. But anybody going easy money on Eric Anders, the guy is not easy money. Statistically, has lost more than he's won, and that's inc- that's not even including the fights that he's air quotes won that he should have lost, like the Gerald Mearshart fight. You know, the guy is technically one and four against Southpaws. You know, so even though uh, he lost to Southpaw Mirza Khanoff, uh, Muniz did. Um, Mark, uh, what do you, what do you? Uh, freaking, uh, sorry. Freaking Anders is one and four against Southpaws. That being said, Anders has more experience against Southpaws, both by that record as well as training. He trained a lot with Walt Harris in Alabama, who's a Southpaw. So in a Southpaw versus Southpaw matchup, I, I will give Anders the advantage, which shouldn't be a surprise because I think supporters or detractors would give Anders the striking edge in this fight too. But Muniz is showing improvements in every fight. And Anders, whether he's coming forward or trying to counter, he doesn't have much more than two shots. When he does put three or more, it's because he either hurts the fighter or they're running away from him and he's chasing him with strikes. That's the only times. When it comes to extended exchanges, Muniz may actually get the better of exchanges and we shouldn't be surprised if that happens. The problem is, is Muniz, is he hits decent. He strikes better than you think. He puts combinations, counters, even all better than you think. The problem is his defense isn't great. His head movement isn't great. So we're just worried about, uh, well, see, look, I'm fucking guilty. I just said we. Dan, are you going in there, Dan? Are you going in there with me knees, Dan? Get the fuck out of there, Dan. God, slap myself in the fucking face. You hear that? Should have said that fucking word. So that's bleeding into me now. Um, the only thing you want to worry about if you are supporting Muniz, the Muniz side is him getting countered here, right? Counter knocked out. Um, that being said, the one shot that, he, that, that that did happen, that was half a decade ago over in Russia against a guy who's clearly good, against a guy who fights at heavyweight and light heavyweight and has proven knockout power, unlike the inconsistent bullish power of Anders, who Anders really doesn't hurt people a lot. And when he does, what does he do? What is Anders always, even this new and improved fight-ready Anders, who looks like he's got a little bit of different style in space, um, I expect his wrestling, which is a bit underrated, to maybe improve, right? People maybe are looking at that 70% takedown defense, imagining it's only going to be better at fight ready. That That's all fine and dandy. But Muniz has showed that he, he gets after it. Like, none of Anders' opponents have. Natal was a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt, but that was one of the few times where Anders' power actually comes in handy. That's his first fight. It's a first-round knockout. And Natal... At that, especially at that point of his career, he was an, he was a back foot point fighter. His game didn't even connect to his grappling, so that threat wasn't there. The only guy who really had it was Vinicius Mojeda, who is awful, and you can't even count him because he has zero wrestling, which he showed. He had, it was awful attempts. Um, and that even Muniz, not being a great wrestler, way better than Mojeda, not just in every department, but in the wrestling specifically. Uh, Mearshart, who, no offense to Mearshart, he's not a takedown guy. Uh, he only, like, attempted two half-hearted takedowns at that and chose to really turn a corner and work on his striking and ended up outstriking Eric Anders, who was supposed to have the striking advantage. Even though he didn't win that fight, GM3 won that fucking fight. Um, so those were the times where he's faced anything close to what he's going to face. Now he's got a guy who can, again, you don't want to overblow the gassing narrative. Like, Muniz could win a decision here, which is why um, I played him by money line. But Muniz, whether he's pushing against the cage, 
getting pushed against the cage, getting the takedown, or being taken down, he literally has finished not far after the fight hits any of those four points and four scenarios that I mentioned. He's finished the fights from multiple positions shortly after. Uh, Add in being slammed, punched, you know, rocked, still getting the finish. Um, that guy fights for your money, man. He fights for the money. He could get knocked out here, sure, but he's gonna he's a dog. He is gonna dog it out. And what's the common thread about all those scenarios on where Muniz gets the fights to the ground and finishes them? They're against the fence. Where can Eric Anders not stop pushing to for the life of him? From his Lyoto Machida fight to experienced fighters early on in his career to later against Darren Stewart, and where he already kicked the guy's ass in the previous fight, uh, had two rounds to get a feel for him in the second fight, and what does he do? You know, just just cage presses him. You know, and he actually got a pretty good third round, if, if memory calls. But it ended up being you know one and one, I think, like just because of the lackadaisicalness and the the cage pushing, like I. Can Fight Ready really fix that? Like this guy has has has. I wonder where, I wonder where the collegiate football player gets the muscle memory to push guys into the fence, you know. And again, I, I'm not. I got a lot of my my brothers and sisters out here play football and love the sport. I'm not trying to shit on it, but again, we've been reminded this with Anders and many other fighters. Like just because you have a good football pedigree and we're amongst top of that, that doesn't make you a fighter. That doesn't guarantee you success in the UFC fighting. Um. Now, Eric Anders is much more of a fighter than a lot of these NFL people. Fucking not shitting on Eric Anders. I, I I want him to be successful, but man, you know, like you look at all the fight IQ and even the times he won. Like, uh, you know, the times he won with the, you know, he got, when he's winning, you got to risk him DQ, not just pushing into the clinch, but if he doesn't push into the clinch and he keeps hurting the guy, you got to make sure he doesn't DQ himself like he did against Darren Stewart, like he almost did against Tim Williams. He was that close to. I mean, if you really play that finish even, one of his few decisive finishes, you know, and you go back and look through this guy, bad fight IQ, um, wrongly placed odds, wrongly placed odds from the betting public backing him, uh, negative record, not even including the fights that he won and still lost, poor fight IQ. There is... And, and I'm not trying to shit on, on any friends uh, or listeners of the program who bet Anders. And I'm not trying to shit on Anders. But objectively, if we're being objective, no emotions attached, just looking at the facts, the numbers, how can you tell me you could trust Eric and plus money or not? I don't even think that argument works here. How can you trust this guy with your money? Can he win? Yes. If he does, good on you. But in no way... Can you? I I told you so with a bet like this. I, I couldn't with Thick Willie. You sure shit can't with Anders. Um, so yeah, we'll see. I could really use this one though. I, I played Mooney's. Uh, he is my my third and final straight play. Did two dogs up to this point. He's the one straight play. One point four at, at minus one forty. Uh, even though I actually got him at one point three three in one house. You know me. I'll always give you guys the lesser impressive slash more relevant slash more realistic odds on, uh, on here um, as far as what I get. Um, and then I played him by uh, by sub was plus 140. It's the number turned around. I sprinkled a little bit on that. And then honestly what I sprinkled on, you, round one and round two is where he probably gets it done, plus 250, plus 500 for round two. But again, if you're on the Battle Online house that or houses that allow you to combo the prop, um, I took a I took a 
little stabs on Muni's sub round one at plus 450 and sub round two at plus 600. So small sprinkles there, small sprinkle on sub. And if for whatever reason he TKOs him or wins by decision, the money line will, will still profit and cover the losses on the small sprinkles. Hopefully. We'll see. Otherwise, I'm going to be losing like my third one of these straight, which is going to suck. You know, I think the Lima was one that really got me. Again, there's a clear path for this submission guy against a guy who fucking clear who has a history of dropping the ball and getting and uh, and getting uh, submitted. I know Eric Anders of the three does not fit that technically because he doesn't get submitted. But again, dropping the ball and still stylistically, he puts himself in position for if one were so inclined and talented enough. And that he is facing here doesn't mean it's going to happen. No, doesn't mean. But I believe the chances are ripe. Next fight, Miranda Maverick minus 135, Aaron Blanchfield plus 115. You know I like me some Miranda Maverick. I picked her, but I stayed away. Um, she initially opened as a dog, which scared me. Uh, maybe the public's right because I I picked Miranda as well. I think the physicality between two, I believe they're accomplished brown belts, if not soon to be black belts. But I'm going to go with the physicality side of things. Curious to see how the striking shakes out as they are both developing and not finished products. Um, but for those reasons, uh, I, I stayed away and I didn't tape this one. Uh, even if I did, I probably would have still stayed away. Maybe people are still butthurt like me about the barber fight and that's fine, but you can't take it out on the next fight. You have to go into each fight, um, with somewhat of a clean slate as far as being able to judge the matchup for what it is. Then you can incorporate who these fighters are or who we think they are. Alex Perez minus 335, Matt Schnell plus 260. I feel like I've broken down this one a couple times. Because it's been booked a couple times. Perez is a parlay piece. Probably the best one on this card. But like last week, I don't feel anybody confident to put him to. So I'm not going to force it like I did last week. Instead, I found a prop that I liked, which was that fight doesn't go the distance. You can use that to hedge if you do take Perez. Um, Because Chanel is known for an upset submission or two. Uh, That being said, Perez is a fighter who... uh, has uh, more power, um, can finish on the feet, on the floor, and I think his leg kick is going to be particularly meaningful. We saw Bonterin, who wasn't able to stay really on anything consistently. That was a weird fight that he probably should have won in retrospect. I was on that. I'm biased, but still, I went back to watch that. I'm like, eh. Um, we know, I don't, you know, not he was the more damaging fighter, and not that the stats mean anything, but he even outlanded on the stats as well, which don't mean everything. Um, the worry here for that is that Chanel's been out fighting lately, but you got to look at who it was. It was against a short notice, small Bontorin, who was just choosing to sit back counter and being consistent, uh, versus Tyson Nam, who, despite his veteran savvy, and I like Nam, um, let's be honest, he can let fights get away from him as people try to outpoint him to decision. That's the way to beat him. Uh, this fight will be in a big cage. There'll be plenty of room for Chanel to move in case that, that is the direction that Fortis MMA, where it looks to be where he's been doing some of his training, has been taking him. But I believe that between their last performances, both these guys are going to want to get after it, and Perez is not like Chanel's last two opponents. He won't let him have that kind of fight. I think Perez is going to spark off a finish from leg kicks, but I took fight doesn't go to the decision plus 100 um, at point, uh, 0.5 unit. Uh, Anyways, uh, Ryan Hall minus 200, Derek Minner, Derek. Uh, I took Ryan Hall, but not confident, no strong read on this. I will say James Krause, who's cornering Derek Minner, says he has no idea how to corner him for this fight on the Anakin Florian podcast, saying the main principle he teaches off of of having one leg in is the one thing you can't do against a leg lock artist. Um, 
So call that self-admission, if you will. That's how I took it. Uh, not confident on the Minner side, even though the, the the value you could argue is there. I picked Hall. I stayed away, keeping my money away from that one. Um, thought about playing Randy Costa. was watching a little bit of Tony Kelly before I got on here. Uh, I'm going to pick Costa. Tony Kelly is a little too wild. Um, but I don't know. This could be like the first fight where Costa gets the decision win, just a crazy fight. This fight could be everywhere, so I, I stayed away from it. And then lastly, but not leastly, Jillian Robertson, minus 400. Priscilla Cachoeira, plus 300. Picking Robertson, but keep my money away from this. Don't hate anybody who is on Cachoeira. Best of luck to you. How do we do on time? Wow, 151. Long podcast here. Let's recap. There was a lot to talk about on two long cards with a lot to talk about on them, right? All right. Taking Chucky Olives, not Charlie Olives. It's Chucky Olives. Shout out to the MMA analysis creator of that name. Taking Chucky Olives over Poirier. Taking Nunez over Pena. Taking Ponsonibio over Neil Repeal. Taking France over Gardouche. Taking O'Malley over Paiva. Taking Ige over Emmett. Taking... Munoz over Cruz, taking Sakai over to Ivasa, taking Silva over Wright, taking Muniz over Anders, taking Maverick over Blanchfield, taking Perez over Schnell, taking Hall over Minner, taking Costa over Kelly, taking Robertson over Cachoeira. No parlays, just three straight plays. Oliveira plus 140 at 0.77U. Kai. Cara France at plus 135 at 0.77 U. Andre Muniz at minus 140 at 1.4 U. Props. Chanel Perez doesn't go the distance. Plus 100 at 0.5 U. Muniz by sub plus 140.33 U. Muniz round one sub combo at bet online plus 450.7 U. Muniz round two sub combo at bet online plus 600.7 U. Oliveira by sub, plus 310.33U. Oliveira, round one sub, uh, plus 950 at BetOnline, 0.17U. Uh, Oliveira, round two sub, plus 1250 at BetOnline, 0.17U. Nunez, round one KL, plus 225. 0.17U. Nunez round two sub plus 1400.7U. Nunez round two flat plus 350.17U. All right, folks, that was a lengthy one. If you want to support me, uh, hit the link tree, the PayPal in there, at DanTomMMA on Twitter, where you can find me, uh, or MixedMarshallAnalyst.com to the right, the PayPal donation, as well as click throughs. No extra cost, just click through. For any uh, Amazon or Onnit purchases, small percentage of your sales get kicked back to this year's show at no extra costs um, to ease your social conscience for those shit companies. Um, good luck on your picks and plays this weekend. I genuinely mean that. Um, I apologize. I know I'm allowed to take. Sorry for my rants. Don't take it the wrong way. Just trying to fucking counterbalance the bullshit and recorrect the steering wheel just a little bit in the overcorrective narrative sphere that gets fucking wrecked out there. That's all. Much love to you guys. Best of luck. And always protect your necks.